five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond with your host, Justin. But before we get started, how was your Geek Week? And co-hosts, Dan and Jason. You have to be willing to let the dice help you tell the story. Okay, look, this year, I'm going to stop mispronouncing words. Join us as we cover board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I'm your host, Justin. We've got the full crew back today. Jason, Dan, how you guys doing? Hey, good, man. Well, hi. We missed you last time, buddy. Well, thanks. I missed you guys. It was an interesting topic, and I'm glad I got to listen. It was great. Um, the question that I have is, were you able to find the lost ancient tomb on your archaeological dig? Right. Because that's the only reason you would have missed, right? I don't know what you're talking about, but sometimes my eyes glow at certain times of the night, and uh, occasionally uh, my hands turn to dust. Ooh. Wow. And then they don't, so no big deal. And then they don't. All right, well, Dan's the new villain in our horror (laughs) horror book. Everything's fine. I'm trying to scare you. Well, uh, we got a good show today. We're going to be talking about running a local event, and this is kind of on the hills of the event that we ran at Huzzah last, or I guess it was two weekends ago, right? A couple weekends uh, ago, yeah. Yeah, a week and a half ago. And um, we ran a tournament event there, but we've also done GuildCon like two years in a row, so we thought it would be interesting to talk about like how to prep and set up and run a local event and the considerations that you need in that. But before we get started, always, how was your Geek Week? Jason, let's kick it off with you, buddy. All right, man. I finally beat Elden Ring. Wow. 160 hours. That's impressive. Uh, Yeah. And, I I mean, I would say probably uh, maybe 10 10 to 15 of those hours you could consider grinding. Like okay. maybe working on a boss over and over again or uh, rerunning an area to try to get more uh, experience to level up, runes to level up. But, I mean, that's it was a solid, like, 140 hours of non-repeatable content. The game is massive. I, I now mean, know where you've and I didn't, been. And I, yeah, well, right. <laughs> and I didn't even complete all of the game content. Like I wow. missed like uh, probably two, at least two optional bosses in one area. Um, so pretty, pretty amazing. Now I will say this: I was thinking about this the other day, and I think another reason why I have so many hours is of the co-op aspect. So oh, like, okay. if a friend would summon me and we would play through the area, I'm basically duplicating my time through that area because I play it on my own playthrough, and then I'll also play it with them um in co-op so that that's probably uh something that also took the time but at the end of the day it's game time right so th- right. i mean i'm if you think about it, right paid 50 dollars for that game and it, 160 hours it's just i mean it's like pennies yeah. of you know per hour of entertainment it's really really amazing a uh, great game awesome there's so much lore. I'm so excited that I beat it now because I forced myself when I did my first playthrough. It says I'm not going to look anything up. I'm going to play the game completely blind and just have the experience. But now that I'm now that I'm through my first playthrough and I went to my new game plus, 
Um, I'm like, now I'm looking up all the hidden secrets and lores and how to do the people's quests properly. Like, nice. Yeah. So now I'm, ex- now I'm excited to kind of go through and like, you know, do different things that I wasn't able to unlock the last time I played because I was playing blind. So it should be fun. I've just been meandering and I think I'm just kind of at a point where I'm like, that was fun, I guess. See, that's, you gotta, <laughs> we gotta do co-op, man. That's we really... Do. We it do. really brings it to life doing yeah. co-op, um, the strategy, playing together, and just really fun. Yeah, definitely. My my second thing was uh, the Xbox Bethesda Game Showcase uh, came out this week. Um, I'm really interested in that. Yeah, it's about an hour and a half, um, and I would say there's you know like all of these there's you know there's a significant amount of time where people are kind of standing talking, but majority of it is actual like game reveals uh, so it it's a real fun watch now i'll say you know i don't really have an hour and a half to sit down and just at my computer and watch it so i did kind of skip through every now there's some games that don't necessarily interest me uh-huh. but i tell you there are two games that really stuck out to me the first one which i'm sure a lot of people have seen on youtube if you're into that dark stuff is scorn yeah scorn is right up my alley I mean, you know, just a gory, visceral, you know, uh, I don't even know how to describe it, dark. Nobody really knows anything about it right now. It's, yeah. you know, the story is very hidden. All it appears is like, you know, some some mutation, bodily mutation to try to survive in some, you know, nasty flesh fortress. I don't know. It just sounds really cool. <laughs> so the funny thing about that is <clears throat> we sat down to watch like a family show last night. Oh, no. <clears throat> and... We're sitting around and like we're waiting for kids to come down after brushing teeth, and I'm like, "Oh, the Xbox Bethesda thing's going on right now," so I turn it on, and my wife's like, "Why did you go to YouTube?" Like already, like she was mad at me that I wasn't like pulling up like mm-hmm. Netflix or something like that. I'm like, "Just checking this out. It's not a big deal." It pops up, and it's like the theatric trailer or like the cinematic trailer for Scorn. Oh, and man. it's like gory. It is gory. It's gory. Yeah. And <laughs> my son's like, "Whoa, cool!" And my I wife know. is like. You will not be playing this game. Yeah, Nobody will, will never, be playing this never. game in this house ever. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like the first time I was playing Gears of War, uh, and the first time I chainsawed someone. My wife happened to be walking through the room, oh, no. and she stopped, spun on her heels, and said, "What was that?" <laughs> I mean, you remember you remember how it was, right? Like the screen yeah. splattered. The guy like oh, just yeah. went in half. It was great. It's just a digital chainsaw, honey. It doesn't exist. It's an imaginary chainsaw. (laughs) Right. The the running joke in our house is like, oh, we'll just play Doom. It's fine. It's family friendly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, I'll keep it short. The the second one that's exciting, which I think a lot of people are excited about, is Starfield, which is it's like a Elder Scrolls or Fallout meets No Man's Sky meets Star Citizen. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, it's still early on. Like if you watch... All of the uh, Bethesda games, sh- Xbox Bethesda game showcase, all of the games look like they're running just like perfectly beautiful. Uh, right. Huge frame rate. Starfield's frame rate was significantly low, like noticeably chunky in the uh, game showcase. So I think that game is still a ways off in terms of optimization. But So uh, they said yeah. like, what, September of this year, maybe it was supposed to be coming out? Isn't that, is, haven't uh, you heard that? I heard that early on. I wouldn't be surprised. I know, if this I, gets it's 2023. Delayed. It's they oh, they announced it as 2023. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. What they said was every game they showed is at a maximum 12 months out. Oh. 
So many of the ga- I think half of the games were 2022 releases and the other half yeah. were 2023 releases. So the interesting thing about this Xbox and Bethesda game showcase is like this is one that, that Xbox needed to hit a home run. Oh, on. totally. Yeah. Because with the merge, like everybody had like a giant spotlight on them to see like how they were going to treat Bethesda or how Bethesda was going to treat them, right? Yeah. And so um do you think that they did they did a good job? I think so. I think um I think the there's some key highlights there that show that there's good stuff. There there was a lot of like MOBA style stuff that yeah. I'm just not into, but I know there is a huge community for that, so I'm sure that hit that itch. They hit the RPG China. itch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they hit the RPG itch, they hit the uh the Diablo 4 itch, mm. they um hit the Forza Motorsport. So I think they covered um, what Microsoft has had in their uh, bag um, and what Bethesda has been good at. I, I'm excited. I think they did a good yeah. job. I mean, we, we know that Xbox had to buy Bethesda to counter the critique, especially in the next-gen console wars, right? Counter the critique that they don't have enough like exclusive first-person content that Sony seemed to be crushing it with. Right, so they needed to come out hard with this Bethesda one to basically kind of reclaim some of that that stuff that they lost during the Xbox One days. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, yep. I'm excited to look at it. I need to I need to check it out. Yep. All right, that's my geek week. Uh, Dan, how about you, buddy? Well, so much has happened. I know I haven't been on the show for a long time, but I am literally drowning in a sea of streaming riches when it comes to Stranger Things, which did the first chunk of episodes. They're doing two more episodes in July. And the first chunk of the season is amazing. So we're we're in a cliffhanger mode waiting for the next two episodes. Strange New Worlds just hits all my buttons. It's just such a winner show. It's the most refreshing Star Trek show. I've seen since I don't know Deep Space Nine, but I'm not. Oh being, wow! I'm, I'm not. That's pretty high praise, man. And it's not like Deep Space Nine. It's more like the original series and more like Next Gen. And the format actually works. Mm. And more like Orville. Orville, I I kind of give up on Orville just because it <laughs> it kind of kind of because you're into it as a sci-fi show and then somebody's like making a dick joke and then you're like, okay, <laughs> I, I, right. yeah, I totally tangent. <laughs> go ahead. Go back. So, sorry. You got me on, you got me talking to Orville. I like Orville. I want to like Orville more. And now that it's on like Hulu or something, I can watch more of it. Anyway, Obi-Wan came out. I mean, this has been just, it's like a f- movie every week. And, uh, and it follows up and the characters are compelling and they're characters we know and we're already invested in and and uh, it's i i i'm the wrong person to have uh, negative criticism about obi-wan because i can't think of any negative criticism and don't then, worry dan I'll, I'll think of some for you i'm sure all the nerd <laughs> hate is out there there's no shortage of nerd hate don't come to me for nerd hate it's like the word fan comes from fanatic, and I am a right? fanatic. I am a fanatic. I'm an addicted fan. Yeah, not fan addict, but yeah, that too. So anyway, um, For All Mankind has been a great cherry on top. They just rolled out with their very first episode a few days ago. Um, I know most of you all are not Apple TV Plus watchers, but... Apple TV Plus is building up their own kind of content library of sci-fi between For All Mankind and, and uh, for from Foundation. 
and it's they have plenty of money to throw at that stuff, so it's so good. And Ronald D. Moore, I never get tired of Ronald D. Moore. So for all mankind, every season they jump like ten years in the narrative, which is cool. Um, and they, they're now they're in the '90s. They started off with the moon landing, and now they're kind of in the the mid 1990s, which is awesome. So so many great things to watch on streaming, and then it's gonna empty out, and there'll be nothing, and I'll be like pissed. I'll be like, I guess I'm watching reruns, but um, it's so weird to have so many great options just like at your fingertips of new content of all stuff that I love genre stuff. Yeah. So um, if if you want to jump into any of those, I recommend them all. And Strange New Worlds, man, they got me on the hook for Paramount Plus for a few more months until that thing goes off the air because I Which, like it. I'm glad because they kind of they kind of flopped with picard season two they kind yeah. of flopped with they flop i think they flopped hard with discovery yeah discovery um, had two oh. uh, discovery had a, a solid season one an outstanding season two and season three and four have just been a constant slog it, it, it yeah. just feels like work watch if it feels like work to watch a show you're not going to watch it so right i kind of had to give up on it just a little bit for the time being yeah. Uh, but I might go back to it if I'm bored enough and there's not new content of things that I really like. Um, so I might get that bored, but we'll see. Right on. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, plenty of amazing sci-fi. I don't know if you'd count Stranger Things as sci-fi. It's more... It's sci-fi. It's, it's, it's horror, sci-fi. thriller, it's sci-fi, sci-fi horror. and those kids uh, are great. I would say it's absolutely sci-fi, yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah, and they're, the story's very different this year than the other two, the other three seasons, and so it's great. It's different and and good and still scary and a little more gory, people. And there's horrible bullying, like horrible 1980s bullying. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember the 80s. That was the golden age of bullying. <laughs> so if you get triggered by bullying, don't watch the first couple episodes. Interesting. So anyway, I still love it, love it, love it. Now my next item is I finally. After reporting for months on the world of Smog, Rise of Moloch, Jason and I and a few other friends played my very first game of World of Smog, Rise of Moloch. And I thought it was great. And I had yeah, a nice it was a lot time. Of fun. It's kind of a combat oriented game. Um, you're counting movements, you're trying to optimize your action economy in order to not waste time. And we only played through the very first mission. It's supposed to be done in like 45 minutes. It took us two and a half hours. <laughs> but nice. of course, you know, we were kind of like, hey, what's the actual rule here? Let's not fake a rule. Let's find out the real rule. Mm-hmm. We spent and a lot so, of time reading the book. Yeah, we were book diving, but nobody had ever played it before. And we had a big group of folks. So uh, it turned out lovely. Awesome. And, I bet um, those painted minis looked really good. Yeah, they were awesome. That's yeah, it, it dials it totally up a notch. Definitely when, helps. Yep. Yeah, when I go sure. online and watch like tutorials, I'm like, your minis look horrible. Your <laughs> 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 minis look dumb. So yeah, I'm hoping to get that on the table again soon. And it feels like it's one of those games where you set aside like four and a half hours and do like three missions, you know, with people and, and just enjoy. Because it's a story thing. And I, we kind of jumped into the game and didn't read the story. There's so much lore for people who love the lore, there's a lot of lore about what's going on. And, and we didn't even really have time to wade into that because it was a Wednesday night after work and yeah. we were we were fighting the clock. But we played the game and the game had decent bones and uh, it's it's uh, it's worth uh, 
worth your time if you're in the neighborhood of Rise of Moloch. Very good. That's my geek week. Nice. Uh, let's see. For my geek week, uh, I'm just painting more terrain. I got to get these sets done because um, I have a bad feeling that when I reach out to uh, the Nova Open and they said, sure, we're willing to de uh, donate eight more tables worth of terrain, here you go and boxes assemble and paint them. So uh -oh. <laughs> I need to get mine done now just in case that happens so that I have time to finish that. Um, all, all you have to while. do is get yeah. a can of gunmetal gray and <laughs> 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 just spray paint, rattle can, gunmetal gray, and it'll be fine. Yeah. Right, or all not. that stonework, and and then and then just like splatter paint on it with like with like a uh, a bristle brush from across the room. Yeah, it's like neo neo art, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Go Jackson uh, Pollock on it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I've been I've been painting terrain. Like I got a bunch of stuff airbrushed last night. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna work on it probably a little bit later tonight after our podcast even. Um, but. One thing that I'm doing is um, I, I just finished a bottle of airbrush thinner that I've had forever, um, but I think I'm going to turn that into an oil wash bottle where I will make my own oil wash because um, oil wash is fantastic for terrain. It is so good. You know, you just slap it on and then you take a sponge and you just kind of wipe it off and like it gets in all the cracks and it gives it a nice like good look. And um, uh, super easy, super fast. Um, and, but the problem is, is that like I only have like a little tiny, like makeup tray thing, you know, with like those little tiny like holes. And so like making like a batch of oil wash every time like I run out of it, especially with terrain, is kind of annoying. So if I could make like a little bottle of it, and then pour it out when I need it, I think that that would be great. And that helps speed up the process. Yeah, so. I would paint more if I didn't require so much setup and cleanup. Yeah, yeah. It's like I can't just paint for five minutes and then go do something else. Otherwise, right. paint dries. Yep. So, uh, but yeah, I've been working on that. Um, and all the while, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I signed up to do a capital palette model and I haven't started it at all. And so I need to. That's for a competition, right? So I need to actually start painting that, too. Uh, along with uh, more models that I got for my Night Hunt army that I might be playing um, with the thing. So, yeah, lots of painting on the, on the thing. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about for my second one. Um, the second one that I did Geek Week is I've been kind of diving, in, diving into the Warhammer Plus uh, content. So if you are a Warhammer Plus subscriber, like it gives you access to the... Uh, books and list building and like war scroll cards and things like that for the Age of Sigmar game as well as 40k. Uh, so you have those apps that help you list build, which I think that they're they started out rough, but I think that they're a, definitely a good tool now uh, to use to build your list with the way that the games are. So I think that that's worth it. Uh, I got a free, a quote unquote, free model that was worth fifty dollars, um, and the Warhammer Plus was like. $55 or something like that for Sell the it on eBay. So uh, I I'm going to keep it because it fits in my, it fits in my, um, orc, orc war band. Oh, good. good so, good. yeah. So it's kind of a bespoke mega boss. So it's kind of, he's kind of cool. Um, and then, so I got that, but they also have like a whole bunch of like animated shorts, um, that they've been putting out as well as like, um, uh, battle reports for like Warcry and kill team and stuff like that. And, They've got some Citadel Masterclass paintings where they, you know, you can look on Warhammer TV on YouTube and see, like, basics on how to paint things. But this one will go in and teach you how to, like, how do you paint glass bottles? How do you paint, 
you know, gold trim on like a display version of like a, a avatar of Kane type of thing. So um, there's some really good painting tips in there that I that I picked up on that said, hey, these are really cool. And all the videos are like, you know, 15, 20 minutes or something like that. So if I'm just chilling out, like waiting to pick up my daughter or something like that, then I'll throw it up. They've got an app on your phone that you can like open up Warhammer TV and just pop in a little video and watch that. So I've been kind of diving into that and enjoying the content that they have. One of the one of the videos that they have is called Interrogator and it is like a um it's like a, a film noir Warhammer style. So they're like in a hive city which is like you know like Los Angeles and Blade Runner. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like very futuristic and there's like crime and they're trying to find guys. So it's less space marine and orky and more like you know the the guts of the empire and you know it uh, it has a very um thomas thomas jane feel from um mm. from the expanse you know kind of that detective uh feel okay. so it's pretty cool i i enjoy it uh, you know just just uh, watch a couple episodes so anyway uh it's definitely worth it if you have subscribed to warhammer plus and you haven't checked out that content go do it uh, you also can get access to uh white dwarf magazines that come out which are like you know the monthly subscription you get a basically a digital subscription for free so um definitely interesting things to check out i always always stuff. like uh back in the day when you would go to games workshop stores whenever you would buy stuff you could always say hey do you guys have any old white dwarfs behind that counter and they would reach down and if they had them like three months old they'd just give you one yeah and then yeah. i'd sit there on planes and just read through them and look at all the cool minis they had they had battle reports in there that were really fun to read mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and all that stuff but uh yeah the white dwarves are really cool and they've got like great painting painting stuff and um yep. what we've seen too is like for example warcry they'll put out uh additional cards for new um new models that have come out so if you want to play with some like like for example the chain rafts or the night hunt got a a, a, a slew of crossbowmen and they were a new model, but like it was too late for the book, so they put um, their rules in the White Dwarf that you could then play with them. So, um, you know, but again, that's all part of the Warhammer Plus, you know, sixty dollar a year subscription, and uh, I found value in it. You know, I don't, I think some people don't, but I do, and um, I've enjoyed. The, this is all gravy to me, because it, you know, the the subscription to me is getting me the. Um, access to the list and the list building stuff and the rules and all that stuff and then um, you know a free model and then all this other stuff is just content gravy to me so cool yeah yeah good stuff good stuff well I think it's that time we haven't had the news in a while let's see if we've got some uh, an awesome newsreel I sure hope we have a good great great newsreel yeah let's see if Dan is I was on mute, man. I totally biffed that. I'm like, you guys, <laughs> you guys, what, what? I'm, I'm trying here. Yeah, I was on mute. Okay. All right, Mulligan, Mulligan, everybody. Okay. Here we Wait, go. hold on, hold on, hold and on. Three. I think it's time for the news. Better? Is that better? And now it's time for tabletop and beyond news. The ladder's gonna quieter. <laughs> All right, that was painful, everybody. I can tell I'm rusty. <laughs> I'm it's okay because you got a lot of stories up on the on the yeah, on the docket. Terrible. We got a lot of content. Okay, this is kind of cool for all you would-be game publishers out there who like Monty Cook stuff. Uh, Monty Monty Cook Games announced the forthcoming 
Cypher system open license that allow publishers, gamers, and members of the public to freely create and market tabletop role-playing games compatible with and using rules from the Cypher system. Um, so there'll be a core document and you'll be able to reuse um, uh, creatures, ciphers, items, artifact, variant rules, all kinds of stuff. So if, for instance, you have your own IP and you think that the Cypher system would be a really good fit for that, that uh, Cypher was created for Numenera, but it's branched out into other things. Um, so uh, you can uh, use the rule set. Sometimes people are just super tired of your classic D20 and they want to try something else and do something different. And uh, Cypher is significantly different than, than most systems out there. So um, give it a try. We obviously have had our opinions of the Cypher system, right? Yeah. We played it like once, right, Jason? I, I kind of feel like I need mm -hmm. to play it again. And I, this, here's a hilarious thing. I love the Numenera setting. It was great. But the yeah. system I didn't like. But I wonder if it would perform better in a different system. I don't know. Well, don't and, know. and you don't know. It's like, um, so for instance, if you've created a bunch of content and you want to publish under the Genesis license and the D&D license, and now you can publish under the Cypher system open license, and you can have all three versions on uh, DriveThruRPG, Right. And people can download what they want. Um, so might be fun. Uh, yeah, it's not my go-to, but uh, I like the fact that it, it, what it does is it allows GMs to truly monetize their work. And if they're writing and doing writing cool adventures, publish the darn thing. Make 20 yeah. bucks off of it and make the world a better place. So... Yeah, I think there's a lot of indie RPGs that really benefit from an open game license because you'll have a few, like, diehard fans that will actually go out and write something for it, and then the community's better for it, right? Because, like, how many times have you, like, <clears throat> picked up an RPG, and you're like, well, it, this would be fun to run with my friends, but i got to do all the work in putting together a homebrew campaign, even a, even a two- or three-shot campaign. If I had one ready to go, like, we'd just do it. Right, and you probably, m most folks who are writing their own games should try to use somebody else's system first just to cut that part out, unless you're kind of a systems junkie. Getting people to, to adopt a way of playing your game and to have it be significantly different than what's out there is a super steep curve. Yeah. And every time they come out with one of these open licenses, it just makes it possible for somebody to go do something cool, put it out there, have other people enjoy it. So that's not like a barrier to success. But I know a lot of people love that system. And, and, and you know what? It's, you're going to have the same thing. You're rolling dice against numbers. You're trying to, you know, you know, the dice are helping tell the story, yada, yada, yada. It's just a different way of interpreting all that randomization. And sometimes it works for you. And uh, maybe yeah. this one works. Like, it, I swear, if I see another, like, deck, strength, constitution, charisma thing i mean i'm really gonna fall out of my chair but i'm kind of I'm kind of angsty about that you know yeah. so I, I i like a diversity and entropy i'm kind of a fan well and, and monty cook is no slouch in the industry right like yeah. he put out some really yeah. great stuff yeah um, like he, D and d three yeah. five and he consulted on four and consulted on <laughs> right. five you know exactly he, he gets this stuff sorry yeah. i didn't mean to talk over you I apologize. no 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 it's good it's good so um my most excited exciting this is the excitement for myself is unfinished business the expansion for star wars out of rim 
it it was released so everybody who had a pre-order got their stuff so if you have the star wars at a rim uh board game which i love 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 uh because it's star wars and because i like how it plays this new pack is full of characters ships gears bounties jobs encounters dice and lots of other stuff um it allows you to travel through the center of the uh the galaxy to because if you play outer rim it's kind of like a horseshoe shaped board and if you're hanging out on the left side at the extreme and you have an opportunity to make money on the other side making your way across the board is like a, a big pain in the butt so now if you're cool with the empire you can cut cut across which is cool and it allows players to work together uh, to do favors. And now instead of just accumulating fame points, like you have a fame tracker, you start out with fame zero and you're trying to get to 10, 11, or 12, depending on how you set up the game. Now there's ambitions. So now there's milestones that help you build, build that stuff up and huh. give, you a, give you cool things when you do build it up. Um, and favors are really cool. Like you can make a... A phone call to another player right before a battle and get like a bonus or access to a skill or something and then you hand them your favor token and you guys can and players can keep track of everybody's favors that they owe each other and uh, they've done a really great job of using the existing board system that they already have without mm -hmm. like totally there's they didn't overdo it on adding new components it's like they leveraged kind of things that they had put in the artwork of the original and they're like okay instead of that little being a little piece of artwork put your token on that now that's a place where you put this favor token stuff like that uh, another nice. way that they maximized existing stuff is they only added two more characters so all of the characters that you could play before they've added six more characters or eight more characters but six of those were characters you already had in the game and so instead of finding Chewbacca to be your sidekick, you can be Chewbacca and Han Solo can be your sidekick. Um, and so that's kind of fun too. So if you're a nerd like me and have been accumulating minis <laughs> to play with the game, you only need a couple more minis to, to play. So that's kind of fun. Nice. Um, I'm a huge. That fan. was my question. That was my question. Is like, how many more minis do you need to buy, Dan, to be complete here? Very few. They came out with a, a new starship that doesn't have a 3D model anywhere, but a bunch of the ships that they have added are already in the X-wing library. Most of them are in the X-wing library. So uh, I think there's two of them I don't have. One of them just came out, like Cad Bane ship. I haven't bought that one yet. So now I have a reason to buy it, not for X-wing. Nice. So. You know, they always put something in there that's like next to impossible to put your hands on, which means you got to go 3D print it if you really want a mini. Right. Uh, and that's kind of less fun than you'd think. Um, so anyway, that's uh, what is it called? Unfinished Business. And I'm excited about it. It's one of those games where the rule book has found its way into my nightstand. <laughs> I'm like, I really got to understand these new rules. <laughs> so, yeah. Nerd alert. Um, yeah. Uh, so we should play that. I wish they would have added more players, but it's still just four players. And I think that's oh, okay. the only... I think if it had more players... That's not a bad thing, though. It would honestly. slow down the game a lot if you added yeah. a fifth or sixth player. Uh, yeah. I, I get that. So anyway. Uh, next news item, Cool Mini or Not, announced they'll be producing a Cyberpunk 2077 board game titled Cyberpunk 2077 Gangs of Night City. 
The game uses worker placement mechanics to simulate the struggle for control of Night City's underworld. Between rival gangs, each player takes control of a gang made up of a variety of members with their own roles to play, including solos, cyber warriors who fight other gangs, net runners who dig up corporate secrets to exploit, and techies who deal with fixers and make deals. So it's a CMON game, which means it's going to have great sculpts, and hopefully the game mechanics are fun too, but by the write-up, uh, I'm... I'm kind of interested in it. I wonder if they're going to kickstart it. I'm not sure. Jason, so. did you ever get um, Cyberpunk 2077 on like a console or computer? No, 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 no absolutely not. <laughs> way, way yeah. too pl- plagued with bugs and issues from yeah. the community for me to want to spend money on that thing. So, same here, same here. Uh, f- apparently, from what I've heard, like it's doing great now, right? Like it, they need an extra year essentially to get it to where it should have been. Um, and uh, it's doing good. But at this point, I'm like, okay, well, I'm either going to wait for one of those ridiculous Microsoft yep, sales that happen exactly. or wait for it to come to Games Pass, which it just may very well do, like The Witcher did. Or play the know? board game. So, or play the board game. So, no, I, I was wondering if you had got that because, like, some people were, like, day one, like, all in it, and they're like, this is garbage. Yeah, so. no, I, I was close on but on day – see, when Cyberpunk came out, Stadia – uh, Google Stadia had a deal where you could, if you bought the Stadia setup, you got a month of premium for free, uh-huh. and Cyberpunk was on the premium, so you could have mm. just paid four ninety or or if you already had Stadia, you could pay four ninety nine or whatever it was, unlock premium for a month, play Cyberpunk, decide if you like it, then either beat it or don't or stop. So you could basically pay Cyberpunk for five bucks. Yeah, right out the door. Well, then everyone started saying Cyberpunk's totally broke. And right. I said, nah, pause. And especially especially on the PC from what I saw, right? Like, it was more broke on the PC than it was the consoles. Well, the consoles, like, uh, were it was ridiculously unoptimized yeah. for the yes. consoles. So, yes. like, the frame weights were choppy in parts. It was just, there's so many complaints about it. Yeah. But I just stepped back. And I think, for me, it's going to be the same. It either goes on Games Pass or it has a ridiculous fire sale down the road sometime. But yeah. it's, it's, it's fallen off my radar. Well, um, yeah, since here. we're we'll talking see. about video games. <laughs> yeah, all right. Nice segue. Let's, yeah, let's go there. Because we were talking about a board game. <laughs> that has a video game component. Well, it's a board game based yeah. off of yeah. a video game. I yeah. know. All right. Al, n- new news topic. Al, Al Cat Games, developer of the Pathfinder video games, video games King and Maker and Wrath of the Righteous, announced a new video game Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. Players will take on the role of a rogue trader, a class of privateers allowed by the Emperor to conduct trade within the Imperium using a a gargantuan void ship of immense power. And there is a pretty cool trailer if you go to roguetrader.owlcat.games. Yeah. And there's some great 2D animation intermixed with some of the, the, you know, the, the, the... gameplay 3d mm-hmm. so um i thought the 2d animation was compelling and based on what jason said not jason justin said earlier about what's available on warhammer um it sounds like they're getting into cool 2d animation for content yeah. i thought this was unique and apparently it is not no it's unique um the interesting thing about this game i mean warhammer's planning a bunch of video games coming out space marine 2 is coming out soon 
You've got the um, Dark Side, um, which is kind of like the Left 4 Dead style 40K game that should be out in September. Um, you've got, uh, I think there's a Battlefleet Gothica, which is like a ships in space game that's coming out. Um, and, uh, maybe even another Total War Warhammer expansion. Anyway, this is one of the games that's coming out, this Rogue Trader game. And this is kind of a tactical based, uh, I think it's a kind of XCOM style game. Um, It's billing itself as an RPG, whatever that means. Yeah. So, but it also, it might be like a Final Fantasy style game or an XCOM game. I can't, I couldn't tell exactly. Some people are saying it's XCOM, but I think those are people that are overexcited and full of speculation. So, um, we'll see. We'll see what it's like. The the gameplay looked a little like fantasy, uh, Final Fantasy style to me. Yes. So. From what I saw, just prepping for this. I also liked, um, I I liked the fact that it felt consistent with the lore because we did play that Rogue Trader game. You played it longer than I did, but I liked like the fact that I could recognize different roles that were in the, uh, like you know you've got the who, who's the who's the sidekick who does all the business all the time. What's the name of those guys? Like there's the always Seneschal. the Seneschal, right? It was clear yep. who the Seneschal was in the animation. Yeah, I'm like, oh yeah, I know that guy's job. So stuff like yeah. that was interesting to me. That's very cool. So uh, uh, it looked kind of fun. So anyway, that's out there. That's out there. And you've got a uh, another news item for us. Yeah, so um, a big announcement kind of came out today. And this is one that I think touches on you, Dan, a little bit. Um, oh, no. So the Warhammer, or sorry, yeah, Warhammer community announced an article today that a new era of paints came out. So it's new contrast colors, some reformulated shades, and apparently a new white spray, which they needed a new white spray. Their white spray was garbage before. So that's why everybody got the ivory one, you know, and used that. So um, they have a new white spray. Hopefully it's a little bit better. But there is, um, I'm going to link this, I'm going to link this article into our chat here so that you guys can see just how many paints they're coming out with. It's, it is a lot. So for the shades, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different shades that are coming out. Um, those are like uh, washes, basically. Um, and I'm curious to see like if they replace like Agrax Earthshade or Nuln Oil or something like that, um, because they've got some that seem to be like overlapping, um, and we'll, we'll kind of see that. But they've got. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, uh, 25 new contrast paints coming out. I think that's great. Um, the more the merrier. Uh, yeah. I, I like uh, Citadel contrast paints. Um, I kind of, my default is the Army Painter stuff. Just sure. on a, Absolutely. I like the way they flow, and everybody's like, uh, it, they, they work kind of like oils that you can reactivate colors yeah. that, that you previous, that it was, should be dry that aren't, right? And that yeah. should drive some people crazy, but for me, it made life fun and interesting. Um, but I, I, I do like Citadel. I own several of those, but I did also fill out my entire Army Painter set because I got the original set, the small set, okay. that had a couple dozen in there, and I didn't get the full $100 version. I got the smaller $45 version. So I've I've onesied and twosied my paint selection of Army Painter to get the full mm-hmm. palette. Nice. But it has not been easy. They sell out all the time. So right. 
it's like I had a cart going. I was on miniature market and I had a cart going that had a bunch of the paints that I wanted to fill out the palette. My wife says, you don't need any more paint. And I walked away from the cart. The cart came back. Everything had been sold out. <laughs> so um, I like Citadel contrast paint because it's much easier to get your hands on it in a store. Yeah. I have been to many stores and I have purchased it at game stores yeah. And if I had a really good list of stuff that I didn't have, if I walked into a store, I'd probably pick up one or two just to put money in the hands of a friendly local gaming store. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I got this gigantic three-tier thing that I thought I would I would never run out of space for my little bottles of paint. It's already full up. Yeah. I already have too much stuff. And main, a lot of that's because I have to transfer all of these Citadel pots into uh, the bottles. Dropper bottles, yeah. The dropper bottles. So, so you know, the thing is, is they came out with 25 sensational new colors to make painting creative schemes easier than ever. But I'm looking at this. Are you looking at the chart, Jason? Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm looking at it. Look in the middle. You've got Croxagar Scales, Frostheart, and, like, Pilar Glacier. Like, these are all shades that are, like, so close to each other that you're, like, why do we have, like, three of them? And, like, Iron Jaws Yellow and Bad Moon Yellow, it looks like the exact same yellow. Um, you know, like the a sermon blue and the celestial blue, I guess maybe like one's a little bit thinner than the other, but couldn't you just get their medium and thin it out? So I don't know. I've got, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I have some, um, contrast paints and I've used them for various, uh, various projects that I have. Like, let me tell you the skeleton horde contrast paint has made painting all of the bones on this terrain, like amazingly better and so much faster, you know? And so like, it's great, but man, like to pick up all of these, there's like so much duplicate, like the briar queen chill versus the pilot glacier seems so similar that you're just like, really? Like, I think if you look at, if you scroll down on their main page and you look at the mo- the close-up of the models they painted with the Briar Queen chill and the, oh, yeah. the glacier there, you can see this the subtle difference. And I think that's yeah. the key of the Citadel line is to give you subtle differences in pigment so that you can decide what look you're going for for the flexibility. Here's the thing, right? Like, I like Citadel paints. I think they're overpriced, in my opinion, right. but I think yeah. that they are great looking paints mm-hmm. so you get what you pay for i don't own all of them i only buy what i need yeah and i think that's how anyone should be with citadel paints don't go right. out and just buy them buy, have them. buy what you need <laughs> yeah. as yeah buy what you need as you're building yeah. your which army. i did for army painter because they were 3.99 a bottle and yep. it was the same yep. ml same milliliters if i was just going to call out two that i'm excited for i think that the gargax sewer oh you took that one away that was mine yeah i was gonna (laughs) say that 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 one's gonna be super useful for doing like you know grimy metal stuff yeah uh, or or even like some some like weathered leather yeah well yeah yeah yeah. it would work potentially well with weathered leather uh yeah that too i think i'm curious you can't really see it in the picture i'm curious to see what the rattling grime looks like that's true yep when that gets up there but yeah yeah some of these shades i've been able to get i was able to get like the garagak sewer just by mixing contrast paints together Mm. and just getting lucky and if i had to go back and do it i wouldn't know how to do it i i didn't write it down yeah but now i could just like so many times i could just like well i could just buy that one and it's fine um right like i painted like rise of moloch has a lot of metallic kind of 
coppery, brassy, kind of dingy things, dingy surfaces. And I used what looks like rattling grime and Gargax sewer, and I was able to mix my way into that and just get lucky. And now you can just buy it in a bottle. Yeah. But, but you know, get, getting a pram that had a baby alien coming out of it to have that 1800s kind of look, um, that kind of dirty Sherlock Holmes metal look was, was tough. But this is pretty awesome stuff. I'm glad they're doing it because... Frankly, this stuff sells out real fast, and if they're making more, there's more in the universe. And, yeah. And and if there's more out there, you're more likely to find what you need. I'm I'm excited to see what the Black Legion one looks like, and the reason I say that is that I've heard there's a lot of criticism about the blacks and grays of the current line right now. Um, so that would be kind of interesting to see. Uh, I can see why they're yeah. showing off their purples, because generally yeah. purples are hard to reproduce in miniature paints they're difficult yeah. it's difficult to, to land that pigment and these guys have done a really nice job i'm kind of excited about it so you know there's uh, some some blue purpley and, and deeper things to to play around with that are harder to put your hands on in in, in more standard uh generic paint paint palettes jason did you see the orc kill a can on like further down the page with the gargant sewer uh the orc kill a Kill a can. Uh, he's just painted it's one like color. It's like the orc. Yeah, so it's uh, down next to Sigvald Burgundy, um, and the Mega Boss. The, but it's got it's a total metal thing with the Gargant sewer, and it looks amazing. Oh no, I haven't seen that yet. It's uh, the th- fourth group down, on the page. In the steadfast and grounded. Yes, and right on the right. Oh yeah, the thing painted with Gargax sewer. Yep, right? yep. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Yep, okay, sorry. yeah, yeah. No, that it yeah. looks amazing. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think that's going to be a very useful contrast yep. uh, there. I look at some of the others and I think, uh, okay, you know, but uh, these, but that one looks super applicable across lots of yeah. range of models. Right. There's a Especially lot of if you very want a grimy one. There's a yeah. lot of very happy colors that they've come out with. Yeah, these are right? very kind of rainbow bright see the shining yeah. light colors and i wasn't expecting that so i don't know that seems like an odd approach for them um but uh, eh, maybe i don't know I, th- I, don't I don't know yeah we'll see i think i don't think you're i don't think you will see anyone paint their full model i think this is just a representation they're just the way that. so you can yeah. get a feel for how things how, how the paint dries and settles and goes yeah, and yeah. Crack, yeah. cracks so, yeah, if you're looking for a way to paint models quick or if you're just like, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm really bad at painting, like, uh, you know, they've got all sorts of colors in here. And I would go check them out because like, I think contrast is a great way for novice painters to jump in and feel accomplished in getting their models painted. Right, uh, Dan. Dan is our living witness of this. I am. I am. And it actually made the painting part exceptionally more enjoyable and i'm glad i did it i yep. still just only zenithal prime my uh war crime minis and i'm still looking askance at them across the room going i guess i need to paint you someday <laughs> <laughs> so haven't got that far yet man with the those my war cry box those half naked she elves won't paint themselves down. They're she elves and they're medusas. What are they called again? I can't remember. The Melusai. The oh, Melusai. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm having a hard time ginning up enthusiasm to, to, to finish those for some reason. 
First step is putting them squarely in your painting table. Uh, they are. They, they're sitting out there. I also yeah. prime minis from two other games. I'm like, wow, I need to start on those. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I see. You're I like the living embodiment of the meme of the dude looking at the other girl, right? I, like, oh. <laughs> I, I hate the fact that I had to, like, make a meta call and lock it into glue on the model. Like, that really, that really bothered me at a lot of levels. <laughs> I'm like, so I'm going to glue a piece of plastic on this model. And then now its stats are changing. Yeah. And I wanted to put them all in the fire and melt them. <laughs> so... I think we found Dan's bridge too far, Jason. I'm like, yeah. don't make me glue in meta because now I can't change them. It's, it's Oh, you can change them. You can buy another $80 box. And glue those together. I'm like, oh, jeez. Well, here's the nice thing about Warcry, and and I will say this, is that, you know, that list that I gave you of all the models to assemble, like, you have all of the lists that you, like, everything that you need to build a good list in there, you know, because you're not going to use all the models in your warband. Yeah, I know. You know. And and that was part of the problem, is that I needed your help to do it. (laughs) It's okay. It's fine. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. I'll stop. I'll stop. I was going to say, speaking of Warcry, we uh, just ran a Warcry event. Oh, now now we're transitioning. to our main topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we did. Justin poked the bear with me in Warcry, so I'm sorry. I went down that rabbit hole. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, uh, let's see. It was on June 4th. We ran a Warcry tournament at Huzzah Hobbies. Uh, We were hoping to have a little bit more of a turnout, but we did have four players come. And uh, it was a great little tournament, man. We had we did round robin style, and the like everybody got to p- pretty much play everybody, and we had a lot of fun. If you're interested in that recap, we had we did a whole w- recap on it in our Winnie Warcry podcast that just came out just the other day. Um, go ahead and check that out. It's the episode previous to this one. So uh, if you want more details, but that prompted us to think about this today's topic which is what what's it like to go into the planning and execution of an event and um we had said at the beginning of the year if i'm not mistaken jason that we wanted to run like some events mm-hmm. and we had just come off of doing guild con so we kind of had that in the back of our mind but we've already accomplished goal number one at least of you know running an event this year and we'll be doing more as we get closer to the nova open and and some other things so um yeah so let's talk about it like planning and running event like what's the what's the first thing that you want to ask yourself when you're planning an event do you think uh well how big do you want the event to be that's going to drive a lot of what happens you know yeah how big and um what's the outreach you want to expose the event to yeah are you looking for a local community are you looking mm -hmm. to try to pull people in from outside um yeah Is just friends, that kind of stuff. Does that? Say, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, <clears throat> it's kind of the approach we took with KillCon when we started with KillCon. It was let's just, you know, let's all get together and um, play, and friends and and friends can invite friends, and those friends can invite other friends, and that's how we'll go. We'll grow organically versus posting flyers and right. to forums and Twitter and stuff like that. We'll just, <clears throat> you know, we'll go by word of mouth. And we had a great event. It was a small event, at, you know, somewhere around 30 folks. Yeah. Uh, and everybody knew someone that was there. So you have this, you in that kind of a scenario, you know there's a vouch. People can vouch for each other. 
right. you pretty much are going to feel a little, maybe a little more comfortable with people that show up. You're not going to get randoms that you don't you know know what kind of character they have. Uh, so it was a little bit more of a local feel, uh, and that's one of the one of the benefits that's there uh, with a little bit of growth into new friends. So I. Th- I think that's maybe one of the first things you want to explore is how big do you want the event to be and do you want it to be a local outreach or do you want to spread the spread the word to try to get people to come from other areas? Yeah, I I think like all those points are excellent. I think I think you have to ask yourself what what kind of event are we doing right? Like is this a um is this like a mini convention like our GuildCon was that you've got a lot of different games that are going? Is this a single threaded event like a Warhammer tournament or something like that? We'll get into kind of some of the pros and cons and, and kind of how to run those in a little bit. But you do have to think about like what you what what are you trying to do here, right? Because um, our area in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area uh, is a very good hub for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. So if you plan to put on an event, expect 30 people to show up if you can hold if you can hold them all, right? Like easily. Um, maybe if you can hold even more than that, expect even more because like the word will get out in the community and easy to get there. If you're holding just like a hey, we want to just do a friends and family kind of um, you know, RPGs and board games and stuff like that, well that's going to change the decisions that you that you make and and how you approach it like you said, maybe more word of mouth. Um, you know, easier communication between the different parties and, um, you know, make it, make it easier to, um, figure out schedules and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, you have to, I think you have to like, like, what are you doing? Are you trying to build a community? Are you trying to tap into an existing one? Is this for you and your buddies? Like you got to decide like what you're going to do in the beginning. And, um, I think part of that is that you... You can do this alone if you want to, but I don't recommend it. You know, like, you should involve other people in the planning and execution of this because even a small thing could easily get out of get out of hand for you. Too too much to do, right? If, yeah, if you're going to get to something that's an actual event versus just game night at my house, right? then, you know, you're going to need some help, uh, a friend or two to kind of review what's happening and going on, and which... I think kind of gets to the next thing that you probably want to address once you've figured out what am I trying to do, how big do I want it to be, is where do I host it? Right. You know, that's kind yeah. of like a big question. Mm-hmm. I I think I think that question will put limits on your event more than anything else. Don't you? And like if if you're like I want to host a big tournament, but you don't know where you can do that, that that could put a huge limit on how many people you can have. Yeah, so so there are a couple options that should be readily available to everyone uh, unless you live, you know, maybe really in a rural area, in which case you just kind of have to deal with what your community centers provide. But, um, you know, obviously there's your house or a friend's house that has a basement. And, uh, you know, you can get it. You can on a game night, you can cram a lot of people. And I've been to game nights where the whole house is taken over and every room of the house has tables and chairs and people are just kind of wandering around that night and that kind of works okay but uh the other the other two things that i think are important is uh obviously your game stores a lot of those game stores are going to have room and i think maybe we can jump back to that um uh actually let's 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 talk about that for a second right because you used the game store to host your tournament and the game store was very open and amenable to having your event right yeah, so they were super helpful. Hazal was great to work with um, for this event, and 
what happened is that I just reached out to them and I said, hey, I would like to host a Warcry event on Saturday, June 4th. And they looked at their schedule to make sure that there wasn't a big like 40K or Age of Sigmar tournament or, you know, Star Wars Legion or something that was going on. They cleared the schedule. They said, nope, it's no problem. How many tables do you want? How many people do you anticipate? Right. So I, I kind of gauged, uh, you know, maybe we'll have like eight people. We need maybe four four places or something like that. I think I even put 16 out there as a as a wish and a dream. But anyway, so they reserved enough tables for us. Um, and their, their kind of thing that they explained to me was that, look, we are happy to have you here. We love having people come into the store. Um, what we ask is they wanted to know what my breakdown of the fees were, even though I, they, Hazal was not collecting the money for me. Um, I was collecting it through the uh, Best Coast Pairings app um, for the event. And they wanted to kind of know what the breakdown of the fees were because they're hoping that you spend money at the store, right? Like they're hosting you for free. They're not charging per table. They're not charging per person. I'm charging as the event. And we used like 50% price support. Um, and the other 50% went to cover some of the um, cost of the boards and terrains and, you know, models and stuff like that. Um, but the 50% of the of the prize support, like I went and got a bunch of gift certificates that we handed out for the store um, that were the prizes, right? And so that ended up being like the quid pro quo for them hosting is that people then would spend the money in the store, right? Mm -hmm. The winners that get the certificates are going to do it, and then anyone else who comes to the tourney is probably going to get excited about the gaming they're playing and potentially look around to browse content too. So like all these kinds of stores, the way to move content is to get people in your store. So right. I think the takeaway there is that game stores are incentivized to help you host events. Uh, and so don't uh, don't be afraid to reach out to them. Um, I, I think... I would, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I would I would put in a word of caution that if they ask for a bunch of upfront money, um, like, be careful there. Do you know what I mean? Because you could easily lose a bunch of money on a tournament um, if they are asking for upfront money to, like, reserve tables and things like that. That may just be how they work. So you, you got to, you know, you got to look into the deal and make sure that you know. But most of the game stores that I have dealt with, that I have played at, that I have been to for these events – um, welcome you for free, you know, they, they kind of just expect that you're going to spend, uh, you know, get certificates for prizes in the store and, uh, you know, other people are going to buy stuff there. Usually I'm picking up a, at least a paint, like a pot of paint, maybe a couple of models, something like that. Cause I'm in the store, right? Like you said. So, but I would be, I'd be a little cautious if a game store was like, oh yeah, well we're going to need a deposit and like all that, like. I don't well, know, if they man. go if they go yeah. that route, then you go to you could look at kind of the the last bullet in this section we have, which is rented space. Um, yeah. You know, if if they're going to be asking you to put down a deposit, I would say look at renting the space. And I think a lot of people, sh uh, you know, at least myself initially, you shy away from this. You think, oh, I got to go rent a, a conference room in a hotel. It's going to cost me like two hundred bucks in a hotel, not in a in a big city. But yeah. in re here's here's the thing I'll give you like look in your community centers right right yes like for example uh, my community that I live in has uh, they have a community house and that community house you can rent it it's like eighty or ninety bucks a night to rent and you could probably we could probably put like maybe fifteen tables up uh, yeah. in that thing and so it's like you know d think outside the box local firehouses. Um, a lot of times if you live near the firehouse, and when I say firehouse, I mean like the actual fire department sometimes, 
they have uh, or like an, you know they'll have community um, uh, spaces right spaces yeah. that you can rent to and those are typically those are typically cheap too if you live near them because they consider yeah. you being part of their community so don't be afraid to look at that or you know that's where you, your buddy can come in that's helping you plan the event maybe look in, in their area as well yeah and if you've got, if you know a veteran um, the VFW halls right veterans of foreign wars or even oh, the American mm -hmm. Legion ones you can get those for pretty cheap um, yep. believe it or not and sometimes they'll have tables and chairs that you can use um, yeah. as part of the hall right yeah. so I think I think looking at renting a space like you're like oh it's gonna cost money well you know what like if everybody chips in it's actually not that expensive and if it and if it does cost money then you can start to think about what am I trying to do am I trying yeah. to do a big event or a small event and if you're trying to do a medium to big size event such that you needed either a game store or you need to rent a space then you can start thinking kind of our next part of this topic is what about tickets do we charge right. people to come or is it just free for all and yeah, so what are your thoughts on that yeah, I think um, the tickets, I, I think you should always have tickets, believe it or not. I think no matter what event you have, you should always have tickets. You need to know who's coming to your event, right? So whether you do a thing through Eventbrite where you can, you know, basically charge for free tickets or right, some yeah. other online booking system or, or whatever, like you, you need to know who's coming so that you can plan, right? Like if you... If you plan for 30 people but only eight registered, well, you're probably, you know, you might have a few extra walk-ins that might come in that, you know, would then get a ticket, but you're probably not going to be hitting the 32. You might be closer to, like, 12, and you this know, is, or something I like think that. this is really the difference between just having a game night at your house and actually hosting an event is you need to really have sign-ups, have some scheduling yeah. so that you can see people that are coming to get a real scope of what it's going to be, not just – show up on game day and hope right. that people told their friends and then uh, you know you don't know if you're prepared or not for so, how many people walk through yeah totally and I think um, you know free tickets there's plenty of online booking softwares like there's eventbrite there's sign up genius even that you could do right there's um, what was that one that we book it was that the one that we used uh, for the last guildcon book it sounds right yeah I think mm -hmm. book it, which had, I mean, it was good, but it had some of its flaws, but I thought it was, I thought it was actually pretty good, but, um, and it was free. So there's a lot of free tools out there. There's even more paid ones. If you want to do like a, you know, mm -hmm. uh, paid service that, that really can like make your event go really well, you know, like GuildCon, for example, has a paid service that they use to do all of their tickets and event ticketing because they're so humongous, right? It make, totally makes sense. You mean them. Gen Con? <laughs> Gen Con, sorry. Yeah. We're Gen GuildCon. We, we, will be there. <laughs> we will be there one day. One day. You know? One day. Uh, but, Dan, I think you told me about uh, a convention in Texas, right, that runs it through Kickstarter? They like stay, the uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, this is the Gamer Nation Con, if you are in the Plano, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Um, I've known the guys who, I, I know the guys who run that convention. They've done seven conventions. They would be up to about nine now if it wasn't for COVID. Um, and um, their primary source of funding is to uh, do a Kickstarter. They started out in game stores and then they upgraded. Their, their last one that they did was at a Marriott. So oh. these guys just started out as podcasters and then they moved into convention guys and, and that's their main 
bread and butter. They also have a podcast network, uh, the Gamer Nation, which has some great podcasts. I used to be on one of them a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So uh, if, nice. if you want to uh, check them out, they're great. Um, uh, the, I, like I said, the, the gentlemen who run it are, are very community-oriented. The, the Gamer Nation is their family, and they take everybody's participation really seriously. And they do everything they can to keep, and this is another important thing if you're thinking about running an event, one of your goals could be community-based. It could be building a stronger gamer community in your area. Yeah. And they've been able to do that, but they've also been able to draw in their friends of friends, get people to come from across the country, people to come from Australia, and they've also been able to use their network of game developers to bring in some some folks who they've written high-end things. Um, and, and that's been cool, too. For only doing seven conventions, to have the kind of celebrities is just a real testament to what you can accomplish if you, if you really kind of invest um, and get lucky and work hard. And these guys worked really hard to build their, their community and their convention up. So I'm kind of a huge fan of, of theirs. Um, and they've done a great job. I, they, I never go to their convention. Would you, would you like to know the reason why? Uh, yes. Uh, they always run it on my wife's birthday weekend. Uh, they yeah. picked that weekend in April. And no matter what happens, I can't go. And so I would have flown to Texas many times. And enjoy. You just need to send her to Disney for her birthday, and then you go to Texas. Uh, man, or take her to a gaming do. convention for her birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, um, so really, the sky's the limit. You know, we mentioned at Catacon a lot yeah. of times that started out as a basement thing, and and it grew into using the Dayton Convention Center um, in not that many years. So. It's probably easier to build up momentum than you probably think if you're yeah. filling a gap in your community. If your community already has a lot of great options, then you may your mileage may vary. Yeah, um, I, I, I think. Yeah, sorry, I I was gonna say that I I think it's interesting. Um, like, the Nova Open has what they they normally have like what twelve thousand people that come, maybe twenty thousand people that come to the convention. I thought um, it was like four, the weekend. four or five thousand. Oh, maybe. I thought maybe it was in the single. Numbers. I don't think they cracked double digits, but I could be okay. wrong. I, I I hope I am, but I could be. wrong. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but they've got several thousand people come, right? Um, I'm sure this Gamer Nation convention's got quite a few people that. It's come in as the well. hundreds. You know. I think okay. I've I've watched their thing grow, and they're probably in the upper hundreds. Okay, so so you're looking at you know two different approaches here. Um, you. In order to have the Nova open, you have to have the venue, right? This is a chicken and egg thing. Yep. That um, that is always a constant tension about planning events, right? So, uh, in order to have the Nova open, you need to have the venue. You need to have enough room for all of the tables that you plan to have. You kind of forecast how many people you think are going to be coming to the event, and then you you basically put the deposit down because otherwise you wouldn't have the space. And then you open it up for tickets and registration and hope that they fill up, right? Like, and if they don't. You may not be making nearly as much as you thought you would on the tournament, and you hopefully you have enough to at least cover your bills, right? Um, the Gamer Nation folks, they kind of took a different approach. They said, we'll start the convention if we know that we've got enough money 
in the bank where it's like we'll do a kickstarter yeah if we hit a certain funding amount then boom it's on we're good to go and they have hard cash in hand for the venue so they can put deposits down yeah and they can start lining up food and then one of the other things we haven't really talked about yet is if you're putting on an event over a significant amount of time human needs are important so that means bathrooms and food um and sometimes you can under plan both of those areas uh, so before, you know, I, I'm not throwing VFW under the bus or anything like that, but imagine you like say, oh, this is going to be great. And then you get there and you realize, oh no, we have a single point of failure in the porcelain. So uh, yeah. I've never been to a VFW. I'm just throwing that out as, as a potentiality. So I think, I think the VFW has plenty of bathrooms, but you know what they may not have access to is a lot of, food. a lot of food. Yeah. You know you what know. I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think your point stands, right? So. Uh, Jason, how do we handle food at GuildCon? Uh, GuildCon was um, uh, we did it through Signup Geniuses. Yeah, we we used Signup Geniuses to find out how much people were coming, and then we had a separate one that was uh, bringing food and snacks on certain days. And uh, you know, people are gonna some people are just gonna grab something from the grocery store on the way there. But I think we actually had scheduled specific meals. Uh, so one day we had chili dogs, the other day we had hoagies, um, another day we said we're just going to all do pizzas and put in for pizzas. Yeah. Uh, so we did a sign-up. Yeah, I think um, I think our plan I thought was pretty good because we, we had uh, democratized the lunches, right? So it was kind of like, all right, you people are in charge of a Thursday lunch, which are going to be sandwiches. So I'll bring the meat, you bring the buns, you bring yep. the tomatoes, you know, that type of thing. Uh, same thing happened with the chili dogs, right? You bring the buns, you bring the chili. I'll bring the I'll bring the hot dogs, that kind of thing. Uh, and then dinners, we basically said we're gonna go get something, right? We'll, mm-hmm. Or we'll have it like um, DoorDash to us or something like that. So yeah. it was kind of up to the people, like, okay, you four people. I think like four Do of us went want. to Metza and got like some, you know, some good Middle Eastern food bowls. Somebody went to Chick Fil A. Somebody went and, you know, and then and then we all decided. I think on Friday, like we're all just gonna pitch in for pizza for that night. So um, we, but but th- it was not a spur of the moment thing, which if you go to Gen Con, Jason, uh, you and 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 Dan too. Like, yes, Justin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm going to Gen Con too. Um, if you if you guys go to Gen Con, like you need to kind of think about like, okay, well, what am I doing for my food, not what is the group doing for its food, right? And it's a and we had to plan it out for GuildCon. To make sure that like we we weren't just standing there being like, well, I'm really hungry and but well, GuildCon was in a house, right? Exactly, uh, true. Gen yeah. Con's at a convention center, which yeah. is built to provide those amenities uh, to people. So there, you know, there's food. There's a whole street full of food trucks. There's uh, restaurants inside. Uh, there's snack bars inside the exhibit yeah. hall. Uh, so the it, and I would say on one hand, when you do a convention in and when you do pick an area that is near a, you know, whether it's just, um, a mall or a, you know, a shopping area, you c- kind of solves the food problem for you a little bit um, if you um, if you pick it right. I think uh, in Gen Con, you know, it's such a huge event. The the convention center probably just provides those amenities, um, yeah. and the the convention center takes the cut on the food that's there. I'm I'm yeah. guessing that the Gen Con event gets nothing from the so I used to host a, a big rugby tournament, um, and I, you know, we had something like forty teams come in and 
play in a big all-day tournament, right? And um, we were at a certain park, and they had a preferred vendor, and it was just easier for me to be like, hey, preferred vendor, come bring your food. You know, and they had like a big food truck and stuff like that, and like plenty of plenty of food for everybody that wanted it. Um, and I saw, like, as the organizer of the tournament, I saw no profits or expenses or anything from it. Like that was just their business on the side, and yeah, I just said, sense. check, it's an amenity because that uh, that I have that I don't have to worry about, and I didn't get a cut from it, which is fine because I didn't have to worry about any of it, right? <laughs> so I think that I think the convention center. Um, it's probably the same way with like a lot of the food trucks and stuff to like come mm-hmm. and give the people food. It's totally fine. You do you. Um, but it brings more people in because they don't have to like go that far to find food. And, yeah. and you have to realize that food can be a single point of failure. So you could say, oh, we got one food truck to come. And then if yeah. you've scheduled it so everybody's hitting that truck simultaneously or everybody's hitting the pizza place next door and they don't have the oven. Let's say it's a tournament. Yeah. And suddenly at 12.05, they're throwing in seven pies into the oven, and those have to like cook and then be eaten. And you've scheduled the tournament so tight that everybody's scarfing, burning their mouths, and, and throwing stuff away. It makes for a very negative experience. I think that happened at the Nova Open, didn't it? That pizza place that was right yeah, next door? Yeah, it's right there. Uh, and so, yeah, Nova It was Open. good pizza, but, man, you had yeah. to wait forever. You got to wait forever, yeah. and then whoopsie-daisies, oh, you're, uh, you're, your event is starting, and you're going to lose yeah. if you don't ditch your lunch. So just yeah, I'm... you got to think through all the, like, the if-thens the, the more than you would, like, doing lunch on your own in another way. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to go out there, though, on a limb and gather that if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're thinking about hosting an event, they're going to start with a small event. That's uh, true. So That's the, I would say maybe the takeaway is just don't forget the amenities. Don't forget the amenities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't forget P- the amenities. Yeah. Plan your food. And you know what? If you've got to charge a little bit in a ticket to make sure that like food's there or snacks are there, just, um, do, it. just do it. But what I recommend, though, what we did with GuildCon, which is, again, don't plan this alone. Right, get a Plan team. It with your buddies. Get a team. Get a team together and figure it out among the team, like how you want to do your food. And again, we did, you know, we democratized lunches. Like everybody brings something, and then dinners was like you're on your own. Go figure it out. And we left plenty of time for dinner for people to go do that. And everybody was super happy about, with it. I think. Would you? Yeah. Would, would we do that again? Would we just do I, lunch I on would. your own again and just say, hey, everybody, get to know DoorDash or or whatever mates or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or, or would we do a group thing again? Because I was involved in the food last year, and I think it worked out. But uh, as the guy who helped plan and organize it, part of me is like, can I just make everybody go DoorDash? Because <laughs> the delivery capacity I, yeah. has really changed a lot in the last few years, guys. I, it's, I, it's it has. But I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it just depends on what size event you're running and yeah. uh you know are these people you know in your current community if you're all friends already you can just plan a meal together and do a sign up yeah. if nobody knows anyone maybe it's not the right approach and you just say hey we're you know doordash is easy we're all going to do that yeah or grubhub or whatever well the, the big factor too dan in my opinion was that we had games all day thursday friday saturday we didn't right? want people to have to leave yeah. or yeah, and, and the thing is is that we looked at the numbers that were going to be there in the morning and even arriving for games in the afternoon, and we said there's 10 people that are going to be there versus 30 people in the evening, 
Yeah. You know, and so it was like 10 people, we can scrounge sandwiches together for yeah, 10 people. Yeah, that's easier to do. You know, and so I think the numbers really drove the lunches because we weren't, we weren't having to provide for an army. Um, so cooking like chili dogs was easy. Putting together sandwiches was easy, you know, so – and you didn't have to leave for it. Like you could be playing a little mini game like in between your sessions while you're scarfing a sandwich, and that was a lot of fun. Well, so. as the guy who did a bunch of the cooking, and I know Jay did it last time or, or did it the time before, I, I felt like it kind of upped the stress level for me because now if oh, I screw, yeah, if I screw up lunch, then like I've got 20 <laughs> of my friends that are like, well, thanks for nothing. Thanks, Even Dan. though we didn't charge a nickel, I like no yeah. one. Yeah. It was yeah. just hey, bring stuff if you want to bring stuff. So, so I, yeah. yeah. So I, I would say you know just figure out what the size event year is. Use signups, which kind of gets to uh, you know use signups for a lot of things. Use signups yeah. to figure how many people are coming. Use signups for food. Also use signups to see how many people want to run events. You know, if you want to yeah. have people that want to be GMs, they want to hey, I got a one shot I want to run, or mm-hmm. I got a board game I really like, I want to play it. Um, use those signups to do that. It just use the free tools, man. You know, it's it makes it easy, and uh, you can get an idea of who wants to do what very so, very quickly. Yeah, I think the planning for GuildCon two was much easier from GuildCon one because we learned lessons. You know, the first time that we did it, and you know, imparting our free knowledge and and lessons of of running a multifaceted gaming convention right they had board games rpgs war games card games like we had all sorts of different games going on right um we kind of took a little bit of a uh, of a of a gen con approach of saying like hey as long as we got people to run games like we'll offer them and then we'll see how it goes we'll see how people sign up for it and if not a lot of people sign up for that event well we'll just shut that one down and we'll you know yep. move people into a different one right not a big deal um so I think what was interesting when we first started planning the events out is we started with the RPGs because we knew that our gaming group really wanted to do a bunch of RPGs. And the first thing that we said, we said, okay, let's do two RPGs per day a minimum, right? Uh, we'll do one in the afternoon, one in the evening. And so we had mm-hmm. like we had two RPGs, and then we had a couple other people say like, oh, I, I want to run an additional one on like a Tuesday or you know this. And we're like, okay, that's cool. If you want to do that, no, no problem. Um, we'll put it out again. We'll put it out there, and we'll see who signs up for what. And as we get closer, we may have to shut down some events because there's just a lack of interest or lack of available people to play, you know, depending on the day or time. And uh, we'll we'll kind of go from there. So we started with the RPGs and then we started filling in board games after that. And, you know, we kind of chunked it out. And, um, I think by doing that, it gave us all sort of a map of how to fill in time slots of like where I wanted to run. Like I knew I wanted to play this RPG at this time so I can run a board game the session before it. Right. Um, and we, we even came up with like hard, session times right we had a morning afternoon evening session and they were hard-coded of like 8 a.m to noon was morning 1 to 5 was afternoon 6 to 10 was evening and so like even chunking that out helped a lot yeah i think uh two hour chunks with four two and four hour chunks are really good for gaming conventions you're gonna have two hour board games you're gonna have four hour board games most rpgs probably want to push themselves to five hours but one shots at a convention can be done in four hours and i think that's a pretty standard time block yep. even at gen con 
Uh, and it worked well for us for GuildCon to do those two and four hour blocks. And, and let me yeah. recommend. So I would recommend that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that was the, it. Go the ahead. Bl the blocks. I think my recommendation is is if you have thought about running and being a GM at a larger convention, you might. And I've done a large convention. I mean, I kind of like I ran a, a very long RPG session at KublaCon, and that was like my first convention. I decided to like bite off a five-hour game like a crazy person. I think it's much better if you're doing a small convention with your local group to try things out as the GM. The stakes are lower. You're going to have a lot more fun. And if you go to a bigger convention and you want to get, you want to get the cheaper badge for running games, you can totally yeah. do that and have some miles on your odometer before you jump right in there. Um, so I... It, and you'll probably be more successful and you'll be able to accommodate kind of more of the random type people who will show up at a, at a, a larger convention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, it's funny because we have a guy in our group, uh, Casey, who decided to run that Wendy's RPG. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it was like, that was the first time he'd ever DM'd. Yeah, he never think, even I mean, GM'd maybe a game before, and he started it with yeah. with a rando group. It was great. Rando group with like the Wendy's free Wendy's <laughs> download RPG, right? Like, mm -hmm. And and you guys were having a blast with it. We killed it. You know, every, every minute so. of that was like pure glee. But have we yeah. gone back to it? No, we kind of got it out of our system, and it was great. So, yeah. yeah, but but that's what's great about a convention, right? Is that you can do things that, that you uh, want to do. So, yeah, I, like, like you said, Jason, right, we, we came up with a schedule. You know, we talked about who would run what, like, and we came up with PLCs for each event, like, individual event within the broader convention that we were kind of running, right, the broader event. And we used Sign Up Genius. We used event tickets. You know, we had um, people who um, – uh, we had people who were willing to be the POCs for their event and tell them like, okay, I, like you can bring your own, you know, uh, character for this game. But it's got to be X level and you know can't be X Y Z or whatever it is. And so um, it it ended up working really well. I felt like once we got it going, um, there wasn't a lot to actually running the event. Like I didn't feel like I needed to be a circus ringleader and get people to where they needed to go we all just kind of looked at our phones and the sign up genius were like oh i've got this event this afternoon cool who's running that okay great right over there okay sweet like i know where i'm going you know so um i thought that like with the tools that we had it really helped um run itself once once it got a motion yep that's all you need to do even at big conventions everybody just looks at what they signed up on their own digital device and it's going to run itself once it gets there. It's really just got to make sure people are putting the cans in the trash and not spilling drinks. And <laughs> right, you know, if it's your if it's your basement, but uh, <laughs> it was your basement. It was your it basement. Was. But uh, yeah, so I think, and even if, and I think everything we've talked about applies to, um, you know, maybe the kind of what we call a mini con, where is it a multi day event? Even if it's a yeah. single day event, you know, yep. still use a sign up genius. I would recommend. Unless it's just a one four-hour session, at that which point I'm saying you're just having a game night. But if it's more than right. a game night, if it's a full day, you're having multiple people, use a sign-up genius or uh, whatever your you know digital choices, and let people kind of govern themselves once they get there. Don't stress out about it. Everybody's there to have fun, anyways. The so I'm going to just add this really quick. The advantage, another advantage of having those digital tickets like sign-up genius or whatever, 
is that you're not going to overbook events, right? Yeah, like, right. It, and you're not going to have hurt feelings because it's like, oh, I really wanted to play this, and I showed up first, but I didn't have a ticket. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah, know, first like everybody's not a good idea. No, so like everybody knows who's in it. Like, if there's even space, right? Somebody that's, might be like, oh, I'm not going to do, like, yeah. I'm not going to do it. So I got a free space, and then somebody that's, else could jump in. That's the difference between this and game night. Like when it's yeah. game, you know, game night, the first Saturday of every month, whatever you come, it's like if you show up on time, you can get in on a game that you want to play, right? right? It's just everyone knows it's just how it goes. But a convention is not something that's happening every first Saturday of the month. So like if I'm going to take time out of my day or out of work or whatever to go to a convention, like I want to be guaranteed that I can play something I want to play. So use the geniuses. Don't do the first come, first serve. Use the tickets. Yep. Yep. It's worth it. Everyone will be happy. Yeah. So um, is there any any thoughts about like a, we talked about basically a multi-threaded event, right, which is like RPGs, board games, like running basically a mini convention from your house. Mm-hmm. Um, what about a single thread event? What do, what do you think there? I don't, like, I don't this know. This is like a tournament or, a tournament. you know, yeah. like a, something like that. I don't know if there's much. Uh, difference. I think that there are a lot of tools out there like BCP, Best Coast Pairing app is a great tool for running tournaments or single-threaded events, even if you're doing like an adventure day with D&D. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are, I, I think you can still use it, uh, use those sign-up tools to get you going. I think it still applies. Um, obviously, the things like amenities and such um yeah, it might be it might be a little easier to solve if you only have logistics for one day. But, uh, ge- yeah, but generally, gotta, I think you can still follow the digital route. And in this day and age, most yes. people are curious on the digital route. The only thing I would say that you want to move away from digital for is uh, w- like player aids. Like if you're going to sit down at an RPG table, like it's going to be so much nicer if you just give someone a one shot character right. sheet yep. to actually have in front of them with a pencil. Yeah, and I was going to say real quick that. Um, uh, the, the thing you're going to have to also think about that you don't have to worry about in like a mini convention is the prizes at tournament type thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. you have to think about the prize support. You have to think about, you know, like uh, uh, maybe door gifts. You might have to think about like other like best painted gifts that you might give. So I think that there can be a little bit more um, work that goes into I, I, I don't know if it's more work it's different work right like you don't have to worry about all these different kinds of events but you really have to worry about making that one event run well you know right and that's where I would say use the tools that someone else has already made yeah, there's right. no reason to reinvent the wheel on uh, running tournaments and yeah. competitive events and things and the same advice for getting people to help you if you need help comes into play because if you're running a tournament you need people who know the rules just as well as your smartest player there. So you've got to be ready to go on the rules because there's a referee function. And there's also a fairness function when you're determining winners. So you have to think about that as well. You you have to come up with a system that that's transparent and everybody knows is fair. I like we talked about apps before, but um, you know, there's if, if you're not using that app, you've got to come up with, with a useful way to go. So um, many hands make light work when it comes to uh, events, uh, tournaments, uh, in fact. And it usually means one or two people have to take one for the team and say, I, I love this game. I wish I could play in this. But what, I, what, what this event needs is, is somebody to be the referee, and that needs to be me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So uh, hopefully this kind of gave you an idea, uh, our listeners, of how – to set up and run an event. I actually, I mean, maybe it's because I had, um, 
you know, done stuff for the rugby team that I was, uh, you know, the president of for a little while. And we, you know, did banquets and, and rugby tournaments and things like that. Um, I actually didn't think that it was that hard to actually run event, an event, though. You know, we used the tools that we needed to. We had a good team of people that were willing to help. And so I think we had a few conference calls that we needed to do just to sort out some of the logistics. But, you know, once people said, I'll take this on, I'll take that on. Like, Dan, I think you and John took the uh, took the lunch you know, planning, um, and kind of ran with that. Mm -hmm. And, um, I took the sign up genius part of it and kind of ran with that. And, um, yeah, I mean, like we kind of went, went through and, and Jason, like you were obviously worried about the venues and those at your house. Um, you know, so I, you know, we, we kind of figured stuff out. So like, I didn't have to worry about tables and chairs and neither did you, Dan. Um, that was Jason's job. Right. And so we spread the wealth a little bit and, uh, it ended up, I didn't think it was actually that difficult. I thought GuildCon 2 was actually an easier lift than the first one because mm -hmm. we were a little bit more informal in how we did things. Um, and it was a little bit smaller too, right? Well, like we, I think we only had like 15, 20 people. And, and you guys had a smaller work committee. And I was watching you guys yeah. kick, kick your own asses, and I'm like, oh, man, these guys need help. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. Yeah. So you have to be willing to let a little bit of – you have to be – a little less control oriented and say, you know, if the food sucks, it's because Dan and John messed it up and you have to kind of go with that. Hmm. So, Lynch them. Sadly, but that's just true. <laughs> I mean, you just gotta, you, you know, it, you, you have to have faith in people to, to come through, especially when everybody's volunteering. Yeah. So uh, hopefully this uh, kind of made you aware of what goes into an event plan. If you've got questions, if you've got ideas, we'd love to hear about them. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you know, share this, uh, share this episode with some friends who are thinking about possibly running an event because we promise you like this, this could help them avoid some pitfalls that are out there. Um, ones that we found as we were going on, but, um, yeah, hit us up, let us know, uh, because we would, we'd be happy to give some more insight and, and let you know some successes and, and failures that we even went through a little bit more if you've got questions. So thank you for listening. We love you, our listeners, and, and uh, thanks for making this podcast what it is, and, and have a good night. See ya. Bye now.